Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 23rd of September 2011. For newcomers, help yourself to the audios which are available at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There's hundreds and hundreds to choose from and you can listen at your leisure and hopefully you'll understand the big system you're born into. The one that's this incredible deception because there's so many layers to it and levels, but the primary level, uh, the bottom, of course, is where you, you get your initial indoctrination and your parents pass it on to you because they think the system is all quite real and quite natural because it existed when they were born. And if they don't warn you, like any other mammal, you won't know what to be aware of or what was dangerous to you, and you'll think it's all quite nor- normal and natural as well, so much so that you might even go off and fight for it if your bosses tell you to. And... I show you the big foundations, the organizations, the world associations, the the non-governmental organizations which work alongside and with the foundations and the United Nations to bring in a global system, which they claim is for equality, but it's it's not equality at all. It's actually at the very top of this whole tree, you have an international private banking cartel who own the big organizations like General Electric and much of the industrial warfare programs that you, you see out there, the companies. And they have the, 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 whole, the controlling interests or the shares in them. So that's what really runs the world. And, of course, that ties in with Rockefeller, who has said it's far better uh, that bankers, who've always dealt with economies, you see, economics and nations and wars, etc., long-term plans. It's, it's better for bankers to deal with it with academia uh, rather than leave it to the, to the basically the, the national interests of, of sovereign countries, basically. Bring it into a world order, and it's to be run in a socialistic, uh, communistic system for the masses. That's why you've got massive government, of course, and the banks like that. They can deal straight with the ones that you think that you elect, uh, and then they get laws passed through that person, through executive orders and various other means. Remember, too, you can buy the books and discs I've got for sale at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And you can, from the U.S. to Canada, you can order using a personal check or an international postal money order from the post office, or you can use PayPal. You'll see how to do it on my site. And also, uh, across the world, you've got Western Union MoneyGram, and you've got PayPal once again. And some people just send cash. So that's that hopefully will keep me going along because this is an incredible it's not just a, it's not a job, put it that way, and it's not just an experience. Every day is an experience because you're always learning and get higher insights and higher insights all the time, many of which you can't discuss straight out on the radio, actually. That's true. And um, But you do understand the big game and how it's played and how everybody's been corralled across the world into a system of massive debt. They're already in debt. The system is created to be always in debt. That's how you start off ruling the nations. And this is going towards a, a, a eugenical society, all for the future as we die off 
up to the 2050 or so, they say. And, uh, and after that, of course, they'll have their big uh, city-states they want to have, according to the big think tanks that work for the military, who have published their findings. And you'll find them at the archive section at cuttingthroughmatrix.com. So you're, you're going through a long agenda. But in the meanwhile, they must uh, plunder the planet and standardize the last few countries that don't have central private banking and who don't belong to the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. And that's really what all this is about right now. We're on one real role because the American, the project for the new American century, you see, listed all the countries they wanted to, to take over through warfare and plunder. And Obama has just taken over from Bush doing the same, exact same course. In fact, he's been congratulated by many of the members for carrying it on. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. I should have said actually that so their plans go up to 2050 now. The first ones that came out were 2040, but they're, they're actually heading up to 2050. That's the latest report from the think tank for the British and the NATO military. And I'm sure the US will follow it very quickly. They always do with the same scenarios of massive unemployment, riots, and the usual stuff. All the things are being prepared for right now. And of course, they knew the same scenario was going to come 30 years ago when they started to bring in the SWAT teams, then multi-jurisdictional task forces long before 9-11 came along because the future's always planned that way. In long-term business plans, you don't let 10, 20 years go by and say, well, what will we do? Oh, we'll do, we'll just meet that at the time and decide at the time what will happen. No, that doesn't happen that way at all. You hang on to power because you always forecast the future. You can forecast it through the trends, but you can also make sure that you're in charge of the direction that the world is going to go. Quite easy, really. That's what the United Nations is all about, too. And the massive uh, army of uh, uh, NGOs behind them, too, all changing cultures across the world uh, under the guise of bringing equality, which generally destroys the, the old society altogether. That's really what it's for. And gets everyone out working, male and female, having no children, and that doubles the tax base as well. So... You understand the world we're bringing in is called interdependency. And when you're interdependent, it means on a personal level, you're completely dependent on the system for everything that you need to survive. Food, water, everything. Uh, and that's why they've hit the farms so so badly. Uh, they've put so many laws out too about owning um, cattle. There's actually a judge ruled that you have no rights, no actual right to have a cow or even have its milk. No actual right. I'll put that link up tonight. The recent ruling. So technically, you're going to be completely dependent on the system. And the big boys use force and the threat of force to make sure that everyone complies. That's what law is all about. And under a socialist system, if you've ever studied the Soviet system, and even before that, or at the same time as that, the, the Fabian Society, which is a big player 
in the, the world for the Western Hemisphere and actually as far away as Australia, you'll find that the Fabians also wanted big, big governments uh, taking over all the roles that parents used to do and many other roles as well to do with society. All the roles that your community used to take care of, they have taken it over and they become authorities. Lenin talked about it as well, and he worked, of course, with the Fabians, and uh, so did his, uh, the ones who took over from him too. So you're living in a world, really, where we get the guise of politics at the bottom, and it's all nonsense. They call it democracy, which is a nice-sounding name, only because we're used to that. They're not a nice-sounding name, but that's why we like it. It's a nice-sounding name. We're familiar with it, where we we been born and bred and raised up in democracies. And I've never seen a stable definition yet of democracy. Uh, I haven't seen it, you know. I mean, the original democracy in Britain meant that you had to be a, a big landlord or a noble to, to vote. And then, of course, in World War I, they were running out of so many young men uh, as they threw them by the thousands and to get slaughtered by machine gun fire in the trenches that they gave the vote to, to the male as well. The average person who had no, who was a renter, someone who rented. So we're always con, 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 and, uh, and now we're in for interdependence and in democracy. So it's an interdependent democratic world uh, where we're dictated to by faraway countries, or at least people who live in faraway countries, with strange-sounding names, and uh, often, often unpronounceable, in fact, and they're ruling all parts of our lives now. So it's quite interesting to live through this and watch uh, the ancient plans come to fruition, and, of course, we see all the fallout, too. Now, all the, the whole thing with the monetary crisis is money's bogus anyway, and so are the, so is all the theories about it bogus as well. How can you create a theory on nothing? Uh, it, it's nonsense, you understand? As they try to build a building uh, without uh, any foundation whatsoever and floating off the ground two feet. I mean, uh, this is what they call economics. And yet, uh, if all these experts that we're trained to listen to all the time are, are correct and it is any kind of science at all, uh, then how come we're always in an awful mess? Uh, they never see anything coming, apparently, and they crash country, one country after another, uh, supposedly these great experts that advise you how to invest cash and governments too. So really, you're going, it's not because it's, it's just pure greed. It's not just because they're inept. It's because it's a con game. Uh, that's the truth of it. It's a con game because though whoever controls the money controls the country and the world. It's all debt-based, as we well know. And I don't see why money can ever hold its value for any length of time. Some guy somewhere says, oh, we're inflating or deflating, etc., uh, etc., so no matter how, you know, sometimes in, in a field there I'll come across mouse nests and a, a mouse will store up the grain, uh, everything else is, is a hold off, just like the squirrels for the winter. And they store them in hollows and various places for shelter. And that's theirs. Now, whatever they put in there is going to be the same next year when they come out, you see. And But you put your cash away and you have no idea what's going to be worth when you pull it out. And it's nothing to do with you, as people you don't even know have decided to inflate, deflate, or devalue. And and this is the con that we're all supposed to fight for. This is part of the reason we're supposed to be fighting all these people across the Middle East, amongst many other thousand flimsy excuses. But this is what it's all about. And this is what we're trained to believe is the best system in the world. Can you believe that? The best system in the world. That's what they tell us. Now... Uh, 
you've got to understand, I've said many, many times, if you want to know the truth, you have to be willing to jump out of a plane, basically, without a parachute. Uh, lots of cloud below you. You don't know what's underneath it. And on the way down, you've got to discard all of the things which you even hold near and dear to you, including sometimes even your patriotism and everything else. You've got to be willing to have it all crash away from you before it happens, because on the way down, you'll get such a shock, one shock after another, and you'll realize that everything that you feel, you think, uh, even things that you do, are all given to you. Your culture is given to you. It's constantly updated too. So the culture of today is, is like an alien culture to the ones who lived 30, 40 years ago, and that's not a long time ago. And it's constantly, it's not evolving, it's been directed and updated for those who rule. Now, how many times have these petty little puppets that we call prime ministers and presidents taking countries to war. And it's so beautiful in our well-speak, Orwellian language of speak, where they call it peacekeeping, and then goes NATO and blasts villages to pieces. And you all know what's happening. Everyone out there knows this is going on with their strategic strikes. Then they show you the strategic strikes near schools and little hands and feet and all the rest of it lying all over the place. And yet, you understand, it takes... To, to go along with government and to believe in the system you, you, you live in takes a commitment from you because you know you have to swallow a lot of nonsense from government, which makes you complicit in the lie. And it makes you complicit in the deed, in fact. And there's been so many deeds and so much rubbish come out of the owned private media. That's why you have media barons who own most of the, if not all, of the regular media to make sure they're all on board with the same propaganda. But really, it takes you to, to, to be involved in, the com- in complicity with, with the cons that are pulled upon you. But here's David Cameron in Britain, and it says, it makes a call to arms, a call to arms. Now, that used to mean war, you see, at the United Nations. Uh, and it's written by his, his scriptwriter, too. And you have to go into the history, by the way, of Cameron. You really have to go into his his history and his genealogy, because it's not who you think he is. Anyway, he says, um, Al-Qaeda, you know, this thing that didn't exist before 9-11, it was a CIA invention, and supposedly even the operatives in the CIA came out at the time, I remember when they did, and said it was basically like a, it was like a, a radio call they put in to uh, a CIA-operated uh, system where they got occasional different people to fight against the Russians in Afghanistan primarily at, at the end of the Cold War, towards the end of it. So Al-Qaeda has poisoned a poisoned ideology that has thrived on repression. Democracy is what it fears most. Well, I've already explained democracy. It, it really has no foundation because it keeps exp- it's an elastic band. You can stretch it as far as you want or make it as short as you want, isn't it? Echoing Tony Blair, a guy you could trust, Tony Blair, the guy who was even over there with Gaddafi before all this happened, telling him how he invests his money in J.P. Morgan and get a massive cut out of it. I'll put that up night too. So, so here's, here's coming Blair's 1999 liberal intervention. Liberal. Liberal intervention. What does liberal intervention mean? Chicago speech, which critics say led to the Iraq war. 
Mr. Cameron called for a resolution in tough sanctions against Yemen and, above all, Syria. Now, these countries, again, were on the list of the project for a new American century, the, the bunch that ran uh, Bush before Obama there. And uh, they're just simply carrying on the same list. Uh, he said, we, we have a responsibility to stand up to regimes that persecute their people. How many folk have lost their homes in Britain and across Europe and Australia is getting hammered now and everywhere else in the States and, and Canada? Did, did your government stand up for any of you? No. In fact, they rewarded the guys who plundered you. Part of the PM's address to the New York Assembly was hastily rewritten after Iran's President Ahmadinejad sparked a walkout by questioning who caused the mysterious 9-11 incident. Well, somebody's asking the, uh, the taboo subject. He's asking about it, obviously. And he's not as dumb as, as they're trying to make out either. There's a lot he does know about, say, the group of 77. Do you know it was a group of 77? Have you looked at it? No, you didn't. Christian Western media doesn't talk about it, do they? Just You've got the G20 here. You've got the G 77, based basically in China, with about 77 countries on board. I've got the articles here all about Agenda 21, how we must stick by it for the West and bring down the population. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix, talking about how we go to war and with the same speeches over and over again, it's for your country. They don't say king anymore, mind you, and uh, it's for your country and you you know, you have all the the emblems around them and uh, you could put anybody in there and just put the emblems around them and you give them a little anthem to play and tears come to your eyes because you're conditioned to be that way, that's how simple it is, it's a very ancient technique. Anyway... Uh, here's Cameron here wanting to go off and, and take on the, the last few countries that are on the same list as the Project for a New American Century that was drafted up by Pearl and Wolfowitz and all these guys. And it was exactly the same as the one that Israel put out. And that was, that was discussed in Israeli newspapers. If you want good news on what's really happening, go into the Israeli newspapers. They're far more open about all this than, than they are in the West. We're supposed to be kept in the dark in the West. Anyway, he, this is what Cameron said about the Iranian leader. He says, it says, uh, it didn't remind us as it runs a country where they violently prevent demonstrations. Well, you know what you do in Canada? You, you, you haul them off, off in a field somewhere and put wire around them and tell them that's where they can demonstrate. Out of sight of the, the cavalcades that go past them. <laughs> and detain and torture those who argue for a, a better future. Here they grab you off the street. That's what they actually do. They target all the ones who are going to cause trouble or they, they know they're the leaders and they grab them before the cavalcades go by. They just kidnap them, just drag them in the cars and then they let them go later. But uh, here we go. It's the same old stuff, isn't it? And, and strangely enough, uh, uh, the president, uh, Ahmadinejad, actually talks about things that most folk in the West don't know about. He mentioned this new big meeting at the United Nations to do at the World Health Organization. It sounds so so um, simplistic, and you'd pass it over because it's non-threatening. You think the World Health Organization to do with uh, food, basically, and um, and health. 
uh, health as non-contagious diseases. What they're talking about literally is a whole new way, a regime of what you should eat, when you should eat it, how much you should eat, all that kind of stuff, and where across the world they should distribute the the food across the whole planet. Remember, eventually, uh, the department uh, across the road from the World Health Organization, across the corridor of agriculture for the UN, eventually are supposed to take over distributing the food across the planet. That was from their charter. Read it. Read it yourselves. Go into it and read it. And they'll dole it out to each region as they they want to call uh, the collections of countries that they've forced together. But here they want to go and and, uh, give them democracy, which means a central bank uh, with a loan straight off the bat from from, uh, the World Bank and then the IMF comes in and runs the country like it does everywhere else. That's what it's all about. Let's, Let's be honest about it all. That's what it's about. And these guys all, all know it. Uh, Cameron, I'll, I may put that link up again tonight. You, you'll see him when he was running for election and he went through all the different groups. You've got to keep everybody happy and promises to everybody. And he went to the British um, Israel uh, lobby and promised them whatever. He says, whatever you do is fine with me, he says. So that, that let you know, know how the, the whole thing was run. Anything for cash, because these players are not big players, they're not the top players, they're the front men puppets, but they're allowed to uh, please different bosses and get well rewarded like Tony Blair when they, they walk out of office. Let's, let's be honest about it. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. You know, but as I say, the public must be complicit. They must give their consent to to play the game. You see, play the game and pretend, uh, and occasionally give a little boo, not very loud, to what's happening. But in general, we give a little smirk and a smile, just like they give to us, the politicians, a smirk and a smile. As they, especially in, in countries like Canada, uh, you know, they're talking nonsense, and and we all know they're talking nonsense, and they know that too. So they kind of smirk at each other. But everyone goes along with it, and and it's disgusting what we allow happen across the world. It truly is. Uh, and no one's going to benefit except a handful of very wealthy bankers and all the, the regime of uh, communistic, socialistic, big governments that will make their money from the world, from, from, from basically all the departments under the United Nations, because that's what world government's all about. And the thousands of bureaucrats employed in your own ex-national governments. They should be called provinces, by the way, for those who don't know. Now, I've got so many articles tonight, too. I remember the Falklands War, and everybody wondered what it was about, because there was not a few folk from Britain or even British connections that lived on it. And yet Thatcher, who wanted a war, by the way, she said that Winston Churchill was her hero, and she would love nothing better than to to, to lead Britain through a war. And um, she got her war with the Falklands, with Argentina going in. Yeah, they, call it, they call it Madeiras, they called it on the near side of it. And um, it cost a lot of cash at the time, but it got re-elected, actually. It was very, the war's awfully good for re-election, especially if, if you win it. And um, she got back in again. But at the time, I remember talking to different people in the oil companies, because I used to travel a lot. I used to prefer going across the different oceans and by ship. I preferred that. I liked the, the slow voyages and the, and the air and the night skies. And you, you get to t- talk to different uh, CEOs and managers of oil companies, and 
at that time they were doing the North Sea big time in other parts of the world as well. And one guy told me, he says, he says the Falklands, uh, he says there's going to be a battle over that eventually because it's surrounded by oil. There's oil everywhere underneath that place, all around the sea. And an article in the paper today, and sure enough, uh, the Falklands, uh, they're now disclosing they have oil there. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the matrix. And in an article from Merkel Press, it's called uh, they talk about the oil in, as I say, the Falkland Islands. And the company said production from sea line discovery made in 2002. Actually, they made a discovery back in late 70s, 1970s. But will be ramped up to around 120,000 barrels of oil per day by 2018. Uh, so they're, they're still at it today, and that's really what the, the war was all about. And, uh, of course, I think Britain was awfully glad that, that Argentina tried to make a, a grab for it and, uh, they could re-establish their, their, because someone stuck a flag in it once apparently and that was it. It was belonged to Britain. That's how things work. You stick a flag in something. Eh? Just, that's it. That's your claim. And, and then, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands will die from then on down through the ages <laughs> holding on to it. But there's always cash there. And, of course, the ones who die have nothing in common with the ones who end up really owning it. And that's what it's all about. Just like the world, isn't it? Just much like the world. And did you know, too, that that all the big NGOs that you're paying with your tax money, and they also get massive support and, and cash coming from big foundations to change the world, are, are all involved in the, the weather projects and saving the climate and all that stuff, all that rubbish. And there's one, even even the ones for different gender uh, types are, are in it too. Bridge, Bridge is called, is developing gender-inspiring and supporting change for dignity, justice, and equality, it says here. Gender-responsive strategies on climate change. A recent progress way ways forward for donors, it says, whatever that means. Anyway, gender equality is an important precondition for successful climate change adaptation. Maybe it's cheaper to wear a woman's clothes than a guy's. I'm not certain. You have to look it up and see. And transition to low-carbon alternatives in developing countries. In order for this transition to be effective, climate change adaptation and low-carbon efforts need to be gender-responsive taking into account the specific needs of men and women and the gendered inequalities that may compound the impacts of climate change. Did you know that? But you didn't know that. See, every day you're learning something new, eh? Things you never ever think about because you're normal. <laughs> you're just normal. You never think, wow, where's this stuff come from? Outer space or something. Everybody's cashing in, eh? Everybody has to cash in on the trend, as I like to call it. Because, you see, every trend is set out by trendsetters, not by the public. The public follow them. That's what it really is. The public just follow them. And then we find out, too, that the U.S. had just paid a, a big bit of money for, for a, a statue of Martin Luther King to be made in China and then be assembled in the U.S. by Chinese workers that they brought over. Well, I guess the, the New World Trade Center tower to be made with glass from China and steel from Germany. Did you know that New World Trade Center Tower has been constructed with glass from China, steel from Germany? It says, uh, 
uh, One World Trade Center, also known as the Freedom Tower, is not just another skyscraper. It's essentially a national monument. But that doesn't mean that we are above awarding construction contracts to the lowest bidder. The New World Trade Center Tower will contain 250 tons of steel from Germany, and the lower floors will be surrounded with blast-resistant glass from China. This is yet another example of how the U.S. economy is being hollowed out. Once upon a time, the United States produced more steel and glass than anyone else in the world. But now we're being deindustrialized at a, a blinding pace. We've lost tens of thousands of factories and millions of jobs over the past decade. And of course, many of them in the Green Movement, I've read the articles before, have advocated the complete deindustrialization of the U.S. And they have the United Nations as well. And they say that it must never rise again. It's not, it's not enough that they put you in the grave. They make sure that you can't get dug up again. I mean, that's, that's what they're doing. So everything's made abroad, and our days as a, a, a consumer society are over to its post-consumerism now for austerity, and uh, but they get used to that, of course. Also tonight, I'm putting up N.M. Rothschilds and Sons are moving in for the kill, witness their work all over the globe right now. The World Bank, the IMF, is owned and controlled by N.M. Rothschild and Sons, plus 30 to 40 of the wealthiest people in the world. It's not bad, Daddy. For over 150 years, they've planned to take over the planet through money. The former chief economist of the World Bank, Joe Stiglitz, was fired in the year 2000. He pointed out uh, to top executives that every country the IMF and the World Bank forced their way into ended up with a crashed economy, a destroyed government, and some even broke out in riots. Former president of the World Bank, IMF, Sir James Wilfinson, would not comment on his dismissal. Before Joe Stiglitz was fired, he took a large stack of documents out of the World Bank. And it was to do with to sign what they get you to do when you, when you sign on. You sign secret agreements containing 111 destructive items. Destructive items. You understand foreign aid was developed as a tactic to take countries over. Did you know that? You have to go into economic warfare. And there's a lot in it in university books and economic warfare through the ages. And you give out the cash and you make sure it's compound interest, and a lot of conditions come with the deal. Uh, they make it impossible to pay back. And then they come in too, and they force you to go into intensive farming, chemical farming. Then you must buy the chemicals from abroad again too, you see. Then that destroys the ground. And then you must overproduce uh, to, to pay back all the loans that you're getting. And, and that further destroys uh, that. And plus there's a number of food left for those at home, because they're, they're busy selling the grain and everything else they've got abroad to pay off the IMF and World Bank. And they also agreed to sell off their key assets, such as water, electric, gas. And that's this true as well. And they agreed to take economic steps which are devastating to the nations involved. If they don't agree to these steps, they're cut off from all international import and exports. How's that for a deal, eh? Isn't that kind of blackmail? Now, if you don't, if you don't take these steps and agree to sell your souls and your firstborn, then you simply won't be able to export or import anything. We'll make sure of that. If you can't borrow money in the international marketplace, no one can survive, whether you're people, corporations, or countries. If that doesn't work, they overthrow the government and rewrite history. And that's what, that's what your CIA and the MI6 and these and Mossad, that's what they're all about, is overthrowing governments. And they all work together because they're one organization now. Then they give you an example in this article, too. It gives you the Argentina plan, what happened there, and, um, and how basically they brought them down massively a few years back. And it goes on about Enron 2 and IMF involvement and planned riots 
because they are involved with the NGOs and the color organizations, these color revolutions, they call them, to, 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 and they work with all the governments that send and train the folk for the color revolutions, send them into the countries so they can overthrow their governments. This is the wonderful, true, real world that we live in. It's complete deception. Uh, nothing that we do is, is to save any country whatsoever. It's to destroy and literally for a few people to take ownership over the country. And there's no deaths, uh, death, death, death at all too, too high for them to be bothered about, you know. Also, people are linked to here's from the Rothschild's own family's uh, site. Rothschild long has a long child. The uh, uh, Rothschild has a long history of working with governments, and it dates back to their origins of her firm from more than 200 years ago. We are widely regarded as, as the advisor who best understands the needs of governments and the benefits of a discreet, long-term relationship. That means the overthrows of governments and, and all the rest of it, and creating wars and. It's fantastic how they started off, even in Britain, apart from the, how they took over the Bank of England. But uh, the fact is, you had one brother in, in, in London financing the British side against Napoleon, another brother financing Napoleon against the British. I mean, they couldn't lose. It's just like the Warburgs, World War I, you know. One of the Warburgs came over from Germany three years before they created uh, the Federal Reserve, just in time to take over as the first guy to run it. And then after World War I, he and his brother in Germany uh, got together, of course, at the treaty and, and divvied up all the cash that was to be owed them because they owned the banks of both sides. Isn't that something? Eh? I mean, you can't dream that up. They would even go down for a laugh and a comedy. But we're supposed to, we, get, we get this for the truth. It's just coincidence that the two brothers, one worked for the U.S. Federal Reserve and the other one worked for the, the, the banks of, of, of Germany. Isn't it? Can you believe this stuff? But that is true. But I'll put this link up tonight as well. And also I'll put up the link to Tony Blair visited Libya to lobby for J.P. Morgan. He used visits to flight to flight to Libya after he left office to lobby for business for the American investment bank J.P. Morgan. The Daily Telegraph has been told. I won't bother reading it all. But, uh, but Tony Blair's raked in the cash. And that's when you get rewarded after you've been a prime minister is when you leave office. And that's when they reward you for all the things you've done to help them on uh, along the way while you were in. And, of course, you get a, a oh, you get maybe 20 different directors, seats and different boards that you don't have to attend just to make sure they can funnel money to you and pay you off. It's, it's not bad at all. Yeah, politics. They call it public service, you know. Did you know that? Uh, politicians and, and prime ministers and presidents are, are, are public servants, you know. Public servants. As strange these public servants are living high, higher than anybody else in their countries. These ser- I think these servants are a bit overpaid, to be honest with you. Uh, and I think they should be cut back a bit to be, uh, you know, well, get servants wages maybe. You know, one time too, it was an honor to, to get put in there. And that's when they wanted statesmen in. That's when they used to argue and have real arguments in, in politics. And before the days where the, the party became everything, everything. It's just like Orwell in 1984, the party. You see. But statesman, and you would be, uh, you simply got some, uh, eventually some of these public servants, when they were public servants, would get the occasional uh, cost of dinner, of a dinner here and there, and that was about it. 
And then they went back to their usual work afterwards. The reason for it being they didn't want permanent politics making a career out of this. Politicians making a career, lifers in politics. So the whole thing's a sham, isn't it? Professional politicians. And it's strange to come in with nothing and leave with millions and millions as servants. I want a servant's job like that, don't you? Can upstairs, downstairs stuff. Another article two, the U.S. is just going down and it's going another war to fight two and a couple of wars, maybe three altogether. The U.S. pays, this taxpayer anyway, pays 62% of Afghanistan's puppet government expenses. You know, the one that they put in there. It says, um, Right now, Kabul is not even remotely close to covering the cost of running the country. The U.S. and its allies paid for 90% of Afghanistan's public expenditures from 2006 to 2010. They haven't given us this year's one yet. According to the Government Accountability Office, and the link is on this site. I'll put this, all, all these links up at cuttingthroughmates.com at the end of the broadcast. American taxpayers picked up 62% of the total and 90% of all military expenditures. During this time period, Afghanistan's budget increased 160% from $5.5 billion to $14.3 billion. But its revenues rose only 30% from $620 million to $1.66 billion. Over the last 10 years, the U.S. has allocated more than $72 billion to military and civilian operations in Afghanistan. For fiscal year 2012, President Barack Obama has requested $18 billion to secure, stabilize, and rebuild Afghanistan. That's about the same amount that the federal government distributes each year to the state of West Virginia and more than it spends on 13 other states. So let's cook a few good uh, PDS from the government. Uh, accountability office, etc., etc., etc. I'll put that up too. But uh, we're living. We're, it's true, isn't it? We live in a in a kind of it's like a semi-fantasy. You know, you're being conned. Most folk go along with it with a little smile, thinking, "Well, what else could? What other way could it really be?" Uh, but gender standards, I say, you're complicit in the cons that are going on. And there's something to it, you know. There's something to it. That this big eating machine, once it's finished eating up the rest of the world, will turn back and eat you up as well. Always does if you look at your histories. And obviously, since all the cash now is by order of the big boys to be invested in places like China and up and coming emerging nations like India and Latin America, part of the G77 group actually, then, uh, What's going to happen to us all, all of us? Well, we have to go down the tubes. And that's why, nothing to do with terrorism, that's why they've set up the state system of, of hyper-security and, and internal armies across the so-called first world countries as we plummet. Because riots will obviously break out when folk are starving. And you can only get to a certain level. They'll actually know it all, they've got all the statistics. They'll know exactly how many houses you have to lose before and, and tent cities before folk start rioting. And then it's just a, unfortunately, it's just a, an angry mob. They've no, no, no agenda. They've no common policy to fight. They've no, they've no organizational abilities and they're easily dealt with by the system. Just like that big exercise they're having down in Denver right now. That's what all these things are about. How fast they can cut off a city or a town, block all the roads, etc., etc., etc. That's what it's all for. I'm sure you've all realized that by now, I hope. And I mentioned this article too. U.S. layoffs were up 14% in August. I mentioned this article before, in August. And um, as the number of layoffs across the U.S. reached 
reached 1,587 in August, involving 165,547 workers, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics reported Thursday. Quite some, eh? But the U.S. primarily is paying for its own demise, is paying for all these other countries to come up to a standard while it plummets down. Most of the general public, as you well know, are completely oblivious as to why things happen. They will take any excuses given to them by a straight face and a politician. But it's it's certainly pretty, pretty bad. It's really a lot worse. Now, Ogden in Utah is the first place place in the States to to use a a surveillance blimp, just saying, as an independent law enforcement agency. They're always using blimps at a higher level. They're actually much higher than these things. They they float higher. A patrol car ferry with all of the police extras costs $40,000, and a surveillance blimp will cost well below that, possibly as low as $15,000. After that is $100 a week to keep it filled with helium and charge its electric batteries. The police in Ogden, Utah, decided that this is a good deal. And it says the 54-foot-long craft will be equipped with multiple cameras and operated by pilots via remote control. It will run for five to seven hours at a time at an altitude of around 400 feet. Uh, it says no one else in the nation is trying to do this, so the FAA has no regulations for it, said Police Chief John Greener. Actually, that's not true because the government, the federal government, have these huge blimps which go up to many thousands of feet, actually, until you probably can't see it. And they've got incredible equipment on it. But now the local guys are cashing in on it, too. They get everything they want, these guys, nowadays, don't they? Uh, and I guess they'll need it for all the riots and stuff and people run, try to get out of barrier lines and escape or whatever down the roads. It's now that all this old science fiction predictive programming that we got years ago of a future like this uh, has all come to pass, isn't it? It's all here. Yeah. It's all here. Now, I'll put up an article tonight, two of the ten most radioactive places on Earth. Quite interesting, there's one in the States too. I wasn't sure it was there, but it's in Washington State. And it was a military um, place too. The IRAC, amazingly, is, is awfully radioactive because of a, a place in England. And I'll put a list up for you anyway. Back after this break. Hi, folks. We're back. And cutting through the matrix, and unfortunately there's only a few minutes left, but I'll try and get Stephanie from Germany, and she's been holding on there. Are you still there, Stephanie? Hello? Is Stephanie there? Hello? Hello, yeah. Hi, Ellen. How's it going? Oh, it's the usual. It's, it's all the rush Russian and uh, stacking wood as well today. <laughs> uh-huh. Keep surviving. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, I've been going over the... The education in in the UK, which is quite evident now, I think, has just been uh, slacking, as you can say. Yes. And, um, yeah, the university monopoly is just cruel um, for most of the students coming out of uh, sixth-form colleges. And um, even though it's just funny that it's quite frightening that the youth aren't taught how to use basic logic or how to use deduction in order to to make a decision because I guess myself included to an extent because um 
every week we hear um, published in the news articles and things that um, the jobless rate is going up, increasing, um, factories are closing down, um, more and more graduates are um, graduating from universities without uh, who who have to look um, apply for benefits in the UK. So yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, that's that, that's one thing they don't want to give you is is, is courses in logic uh, because it's the last thing that, you, that they want you to have is any logic at all. In fact, but I did notice that all the students now. Uh, have to be very politically correct with all the on board for internationalism, citizen of the world stuff. I was looking at some of the curriculums for, for England and Scotland and it's all world citizenship, world citizenship and, and must all save the weather, climate change, all that stuff. Everything which is politically correct is being pushed a bit. As far as knowledge on any actual things or facts, they have none at all. None at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, they actually scrapped the SAT test. Uh, um, in 2009, which was the only test that weren't, wasn't actually showing an increase in the um, the pass rate for the students, and um, every year the, the same students who did those test in 2009, who actually um, on average fell in the compared to other the previous results in other years, uh, were getting record amounts of record uh, A stars or A. A's at A level and we'll all be flocking to university, so it's just a big monopoly. Oh, it's a complete monopoly, yeah. Would you be able to um, uh, explain how the the monopoly of the banking system in modern times um, have managed to in debt and and um, uh, who are the main bodies involved in indebting every single country in the world, more or less? Yeah, it is quite simple because there's only a few a few families actually own the cash that, that, that they lend to nations. There's very few bankers actually lend to nations. There's only a few a few families, and of course Rothschilds definitely is up there. And uh, and these families literally worked along. But actually, these same families formed the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, which formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations. Every country has its CFR branch now. Even the European Union has its European Council on Foreign Relations, and uh, and their whole idea, idea is globalism. Uh, the same organisation set up the United Nations and all of its branches, and they outlined their plan to take over the world economically, and through owning countries, they would use their militaries to bring in this particular world order. But I might go into that in more depth in, in future shows. Okay, thank you. Thanks for coming. And for the other ones, Mike in Pennsylvania, Paul Australia, and Chris in Illinois, maybe you could phone back in on Monday. For myself in Hamish, in Ontario, Canada, and I should say, remember, buy the books and discs, for goodness sake, keep me going. It's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.